This is Bonjour Chai, the Shakshuka Like a Polaroid Picture Edition. I'm Avi Feingold, somewhere in transit, and I'm here with Phoebe Maltzbovi in Toronto, and our special guest host, Mark Weisblot, also in Toronto. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, Julia Mazur, Shakshuka, and the Culture Wars make for quite the tasty breakfast stew. We will dig into it, and Rosh Hashanah is upon us, so we look back and discuss what needs to go into the Book of Life and what needs to perish by fire, by water, or by slow decay. Mark. Phoebe, Mark, welcome to the program. Avi, I've told you this before in person, so you know I'm being sincere. If I knew this podcast existed and I was not playing a part in it somehow, I would have considered myself a failure in life. <laughs> and the fact that you've invited me here as a guest after... After many attempts, two, two, to be Two fair. and three quarter years of... Working behind the curtain at the Canadian Jewish News. Uh, this is an honor and a privilege. Uh, also to be here with Phoebe Maltz-Bovey. And once again, a situation where reading her contrarian commentaries in the Globe and Mail, uh, if I was on the outside looking in, I would be wondering how I could align myself with this person and here I am. All of us are, are in touch every single day, and yet I have never been on the show. Well, Mark, we're thrilled to have you here. We're, we're thrilled to have you here. The, the love fest goes in all directions. Absolutely. Um, we are all feeling warm and fuzzy. You gave me a deadline, and it was the fact that you wanted to talk about the stories of the Jewish year before Rosh Hashanah. I, I understood this logic that to do it, to do it, after Simchat Torah would have been a, a little too late. So he, here I am, uh, for the first time in my life, responding to an Avi Feingold deadline instead of That's imposing one of my own <laughs> yeah, upon him. And uh, we won't reveal ha- how that tends to work out. Uh, Not well. I will reveal it. Here, here I am uh, uh, to tell all about, about what we have been trying to do with the Canadian Jewish News. Uh, how the Bonjour High podcast has fit into it all, and uh, a brand new issue of the CJN magazine, which people can now find a digital copy of online with some some fantastic observations from Phoebe Maltz-Bovey. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we should encourage people to get the print edition and collect it because I, uh, I think that this is a real wonderful uh, piece of uh, journalism and is print and uh, the, it looks good. I like it. And uh, go and get a subscription so you can get the magazine. But uh, yes, if you don't have access to it, definitely get a digital copy of it. Phoebe, I liked your year-end piece in there. Uh, I liked all the other stuff that went on, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful piece of journalism. Yeah, what can I say? Uh, also, uh, a dialogue in there about the rabbinics of clothing. Uh, Rabbi Mordechai Torchiner, who, who just left Toronto after 14 years, he had a series of lectures that I listened to online. I was, I was inspired by uh, the depth that he gave to the topic, and I figured it would be great. Great idea to hook him up with uh, with a rabbi who actually does care about fashion, and that happens to be present company Avi Feingold. Yes, uh, 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 but 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 in your in your discussion there with Rabbi Torchiner, right? He himself, while he has studied and and analyzed and come up with theories about the Jewish perspective on clothing, uh, 
he's not big into fashion himself, right? You, you've got a, a distinction well, as there. We spoke about that, and we found that, like, I think that most rabbis tend to be like that. It's, it's, it's kind of a stereotype, but it's a stereotype, I think, because it's mostly true. Um, there are often clergy that just say, I need the basics, I need to look presentable, but my life is a life of the mind, and I don't need to consider what is the uh, most, you know, important fashion, what's what's happening and where, uh, where things are going. In so that that's world. a lot yeah. like a lot of academics are like Absolutely. that, a lot of yeah. journalists are like that um, and then you of course have Mark Zuckerberg wearing the same t-shirt except not really the same the same copies of the same very high-end t-shirt every oh. day so as not to disturb his thought process well, um, Steve Jobs as well with the right, uniform it's a fan it's a it's a is it gendered would you say Avi I think this? so I think that women tend to have uh, a style rather than a specific uniform of the exact same thing right uh, especially I, I notice a lot of uh, women rabbis that feel the need to like have the blazer always and the or the skirt suit or the pantsuit to to, uh, to sort of give themselves that sort of uh, edge and to sort of say this is what professional looks like um, and I've had discussions with many of them I think that you could get wider but uh, but yeah I think that women tend to have more options and tend to go wider and men just stick to suit and dark tie and white shirt or whatever it so be, or... speaking of fashion can I can I mention that I, I have to talk about the fashion requirements or the sartorial requirements of the Canadian citizenship ceremony because i was just there um i'm canadian now so i hope everybody is excited about this thank you this was a a long time coming but i was shocked to see that the it has a formal dress code and the point is that you have to wear business attire and i was shocked i had not been requested to wear business attire probably since like 2006 for any reason and this just led to me going through my closet in this kind of like frantic, what, what would be business attire? What in 2023 even is business attire that it's assumed that everybody even has it. And um, yeah, but then people were, people were in business attire and this didn't seem incidental because a lot of the ceremony was actually about um, work and about like the judge asked all of us, um, this was Judge Wong. I think he wants a shout out on our podcast. So um, hi, Judge Wong, if you're listening. Um, thank you for making me Canadian. Um, but basically, yeah, a lot. he, he asked everybody um, who was becoming a new citizen what they do for a living, where they work, things like that. And a lot of it really was about sort of like your contribution to Canada in the very like material sense of your work. And that's also in the guide to... Um, like that you have to study for the test, one of the, you're, you're required to work. So if you're born in Canada and are a Canadian citizen that way, perhaps you might lounge all the time. But if you are a new Canadian, the ex, well, no, I think the expectation is that a lot of, a lot of work. And um, I had known this about America, that there's a lot of expectation to work, but apparently in Canada as well, you can't just sit around huh. so if, if i can uh use that to transition i don't know if you were teeing that up for me or if it just goes into my mind what if you are an influencer whose job it is to sit around all day not do much but talk about <laughs> it on tiktok and youtube uh would you be able to be canadian in other words could julia okay. mazur become canadian <laughs> good 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 segue um just answer that and then tell us who julia mazur is sure um well given that her lounging appears to happen on the weekend i think that's allowed i think you are allowed weekends in canada maybe not in the states but i think in canada maybe it's it's allowed um so julia mazur um and thank you for the pronunciation of mazur because i was like in the shower this morning thinking is it Mazur or mazur i'm gonna get it all wrong okay she is 
a former Tinder employee. Mark, is that correct? Because I know you did some fact checking. Yeah, yeah, real deep LinkedIn research okay. here to, okay. to find <laughs> out that I don't know if uh, a story about somebody going viral more often than not tends not to be an accident. And this is someone with a certain amount of savvy that she worked for a number of years in marketing at Tinder, and now she is connected to influencing at Spotify. The, the fact that we're talking about here, uh, I would not discount the idea that it is connected to the fact that she has built her in, entire career trying to make the, the sort of connections uh, that, that found her uh, all of a sudden making claims of being bullied. Yes. So who she is and what this was about. Basically, um, she did a TikTok. There's a 29-year-old woman, um, attractive 29-year-old woman, made a TikTok video about how her life goes on the weekend um, as a, an unmarried, a single childless 29 year old a, a a hag of 29 um and basically that she could just do whatever she wants all day she can watch reality tv she can she said that one of the things was that she had been scrolling on her phone and saw an attractive picture of shakshuka which um for the uninitiated is there is anybody listening unaware of what shakshuka is it's a spicy tomato and or pepper onion perhaps um with eggs in it sauce sort of like it's like huevos rancheros but israeli i i I always try to compare it to sort of saying like it's a great tomato sauce that you dump three or four eggs into right before you serve it so that they poach slowly and then you have these like nice slow cooked eggs uh, on top of them and you eat the the whole thing together with some nice crusty bread and uh, enjoy yeah exactly so she basically she's going to do that um, and in the video, it's, it's this weird sort of defensive slash defiant video about how when she's feeling bad about the fact that she's not, you know, married with 10 children at 29 as an influencer, which a lot of, which doesn't, it doesn't all entirely make sense. But anyway, when she's feeling bad about her life, she reminds herself that actually she loves her life because she, unlike the people who are, unlike the women who are married with children can make um, eggs and tomato sauce and watch television. And this sounds kind of anodyne and who cares, but then um, it went viral. And um, Matt Walsh, who is not Matt Welsh, who I think is a different journalist. There's a lot of journalists with similar names, but anyway, Matt Walsh is this um, right wing provocateur um, whose exact pedigree i think mark can fill us in on but he definitely he made that video something like what is a woman which i've not watched some sort of like transphobic documentaries i don't even know what it is i have not watched it just but, curious like, by the way when you when they asked you for your citizenship what your business was did you say you were a left-wing provocateur <laughs> definitely provocatrice, i should say you're not you're not actually allowed to mention your politics or per, your your political or personal opinions are supposed to stay out of the like that room, and I was like, but what if that's but what if that's your job? Your is actual an, job, exactly, yeah. like Matt but, Walsh, um, or or yeah, some other people. But anyway, yeah. So basically, um, he he was mad, so he tweeted, or he was um, opportunistic and business oriented, um, making his I would say contribution to Canada, but he, I don't believe he's Canadian. Um, 
So anyway, he tweeted, he shared this video with the caption, her life doesn't revolve around her family and kids, so instead it revolves around TV shows and pop stars. Worst of all, she's too stupid to realize how depressing this is. So of course, this became a whole thing. People were very mad at her. People were very sympathetic to her. People wished her ill. People who were mothers with children were like, that sounds kind of nice and relaxing what you're describing, but didn't seem to be nobody seemed to be yeah it just became a whole thing and then there were think pieces about it talking about sort of the place of feminism today and the right-wing anti-woman whatever so it, it became a whole thing but the reason that this part of why this became a whole thing was that there were just a few pieces um in the news this past week very much on the topic of kind of singles versus marrieds or people with children versus without so the shorter and easier to explain one is a tweet that went rather viral again for also from a media personality um the twitter slash x account mcmansion hell kate wagner wrote um I don't know how to put this nicely at all, but I can't help but feel I can't help feeling that having a baby feels more and more like a fucking status symbol. So it's a well, thread. I think about... it's literally a status symbol of your fucking. <laughs> well, if only that was what, if only that was what she meant. But um, she's she it, it, the thread goes on about childcare costs and so forth. There was also, um, I even forgot to include this in my links roundup about this. There was some other article about what childcare costs in New York City now. Sorry to be un-Canadian, but apparently there's some family in Brooklyn that they make 400000 US dollars a year, but cannot afford childcare because it is per month 4700 US dollars for a daycare, for a daycare, for one child, which seems a lot. And then finally, the big one was that there was this article in The Cut, so that's from New York Magazine, um, about how uh, hard it is for people without children to stay friends with, um, so specifically people who are glamorous and living in a city like New York or perhaps Toronto and going out every night to expensive places. And it's a real damper on that if your friends have children because then they can't go out as much because they also have to pay for babysitter and so forth. And it's by Allison P. Davis, and it's called Adorable Little Detonators. Our friendship survived bad dates, illness, marriage, fights. Why can't it survive your baby? Um, so this has like been, this is the moment, this is the thing people are talking about this week. Let me ask you, Mark, first. Let me start with you. Um, when um, when you see this as a media mogul, as a person who is basically looking at this from the angle of the media side and not the culture itself, how much of this is people needing to stir up these debates simply because they need to sell more media and how much of it is actually a reflection of what the their respective cu- uh, cultures and societies is actually doing? Meaning, is this really just stirring up there to, to sell clicks or is there actually something going on here? Well, I, I thought the fact that Julia Mazur works in the influencer industry, uh, th- that's relevant here. Because, because how do we know that she did not send this video directly to Matt Walsh for the purpose of being dunked on online, right? We got, we got to account for the fact that uh, there might have been something going on behind the scenes where she... So you think there's an in- excitement to the back channel is what you're saying? Uh, if, you, if you see her TikTok account, this thing about I'm 29 years old, I'm almost 30, I'm not married, I don't have any kids, uh, she has repeated this mantra over the course of multiple TikToks. 
we end up seeing it on Twitter isolated from the context. But this this is a shtick that she has been working on for a while. Yeah, my, my, my thing was, as soon as I kept hearing her say that again and again, and I was like, don't you realize you're supposed to freeze your eggs and not cook them at the age of 29? But <laughs> So what I can't figure out is who she is kind of milieu-wise, because if this is an influencer living in the big city, going out, whatever, being whatever the well, she, many, she also you know, she also complains about having to work from home all the time that she so, doesn't yeah. see people in person during the day. So it seems to me that to be single at twenty nine, to specifically to not have children at twenty nine, is typical of the milieu I would think she's in. So what I couldn't figure out is who is making her feel bad about this? And I guess you get little inklings of this because she's quoted in an NBC article as saying that her Russian Jewish family like values having a family or whatever. But it just seems that at that, at this, you know, un- Avi can speak to other parts of society, but unless this woman is a very observant Jew, and I don't get that sense necessarily, why does she think that she's, um, why does she think that she's a spinster or whatever if she's 29 years old so first of all i will uh go on certain points of defense but i want to do it just for the sake of argument and uh to to to, and to i just to, to just be clear to be clear i'm talking about i looked at the statistics on when people actually in canada and the u.s have a baby and she's not late i will preface my statement by saying i fully defend her right to be 29 and single and unmarried and happy and that that is a life she's not happy also this is the other issue clearly is saying i want to do that yes so that that's the the, there's a tension there that needs to be discussed about that but if one is 29 unmarried single never you know not in a relationship no children and wants to do nothing all day right that is their right to be happy and we should they we should defend that and that is fine Right. The flip side of it is that there are people that actively say, no, I want I would prefer to marry, you know, somebody that's less than perfect because I would rather marry early and I would rather have children. And that that is a choice that I have to make. And unfortunately, that has really aligned left and right conservative liberal and to say that it is my right to be as single as I want for the rest of my life, whereas the conservatives have rights to own, you know, guns and rights to other things. But they think that you don't have the right to your own happiness and your happiness should be devoted to making other people happy as a mother. Right. I think that that is absolute. Like, but Avi, BS, you're taking, you know? The problem is that I think you're taking her terms. No, but you're taking her terms because what I'm saying and other people have pointed this out as well. This is not team single ladies, team married ladies. She's very likely at 31 to be a married lady with a child. But the you conservative know, world is basically saying this. The conservative world is saying if you're 29 and single, right, that is a bad thing automatically. You should not think ever in one moment of your life that, you know, basically there's two modes of living, right, is that when you're a kid, you're supposed to be chased until the age of 18 or the 16 or whatever it is until the day you get married and then you are devoting your life to somebody else um, and conservatives are marrying at 16 where I don't know I'm just in, <laughs> in the hill country of uh, somewhere or other I don't know I, I'm just saying okay that, like, okay Avi but she, she's not she, she's not she's not 29 years old uh, saying to Hillam and and doing mitzvahs, right? I mean, she yeah, she's but, talking about I I went to the Beyonce concert yes, the night before. I'm saying you have the right I'm to do whatever about you want. Making shakshuka. Uh, uh, Matt Walsh was was commenting on the superficiality. Yes, of her I am life. down with the superficiality, and I bet you there is plenty of superficiality in Matt Walsh's life. That yeah, I mean, said, I don't I'm think that children versus children. Well. No, but children versus not. I mean, do you think that people with children don't watch garbage television? 
That's what I'm saying. Everybody yeah, has superficiality yeah, in her yeah. life, and and I'm like yeah. I'm gonna defend one's right to superficiality, right? I, I, I would the other the, the the way that I'm gonna go and defend Matt Walsh is that he's representing people who have these deeply held values, which are not wrong to say. I actually believe that I want to be. But you're with all somebody no no no, else. Avi Avi. You're taking her terms, and and everybody is, and it's 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 a little silly because this no, no, she no, is not she is not defending the right to be forty, and in that situation that is that is which his is a very interpretation. Thing. I'm saying that his interpretation of it is that as soon as you're 29 you're five years seven years past your prime already you this need to be married you need so to be much by milieu. okay but what i'm saying is that For this sure. varies by, yeah. by and, and i think this is interesting because i think when this is a lot about online context collapse right because if she like what is her context is she somewhere where it's strange that she's single because she seems to the defensiveness struck me because I don't know anybody practically who at 29 had a child. A couple people, but very, very, very few. And in my day-to-day life, don't encounter any, right? And, and Mark, you've seen people in the Orthodox world who know that this is a tragedy and a horrible thing. And this is sad if you're male or female in 29 and don't have children yet and you're not married because you're going to be stuck with the wrong type of person or whatever it is. It's just your observations around the world, right? This is, there are cultures that all have different values about what's important and what isn't. Right. And, and the Matt Walsh's of the world and the Julian Mazur's of the world are basically attempting to impose their value. Right. And to say that this value is a good, strong value. Right now, if only they said this is to the, not to the exclusion of other types of values, you can be 22 and married with two kids and enjoy your life, or you can be 40 and unmarried or 60 and unmarried and never have kids and you can be totally fine. We are going to say that that is okay. Right. There are a few value statements that I want to judge on, but Matt Walsh is attempting to say this is the value that you have to to abide by and you are a bad person because you don't well, abide so by what my about set the, of values. What about the financial aspects of this? And I'm going to bring back in McMansion Hell, who's saying that she is married and is not not about children being status symbols, but which is, is nonsense, but that it is expensive to have children and that there are people, and I think this is an important part and a bit of a pushback to the Matt Walsh's of the world because a lot of people who want either marriage or children or both, whatever, are they can't you know and it's not that they are these libertines it might be but what i was going to say and this is really 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 important is that it's not socially acceptable to say i can't have a family because i don't have the money because there's some medical reason whatever that's not a sort of upbeat thing to say publicly what is upbeat to say is i love my life i go out i relax i have fun whatever that is a much more socially acceptable thing to say you're not actually getting people's reasons on an individual basis of why they don't have a family. I'm not talking about people who are at an age, maybe a little older than 29, where it is more widely expected that somebody would have a family. Okay, well, uh, well, look, look, the, the, the Julia Mazur show includes a podcast, and the name of the podcast is Pretty Much Done. Uh, she's expressing an exasperation here. Another one of her TikTok videos, she talks about being a first-generation American to Im- immigrant parents how she feels she has daddy issues because she grew up eager to please and she found in her in her dating life that she was deferential to the men who reminded her of of her father another video is about her mom suggesting that she meet a a a Jewish medical student 29 years old he's perfect for you she's gagging at the idea that her mother will be a matchmaker I, I, and so by, by virtue of the fact that we're we're talking about her 
uh, were, were validating the depths of her performance, and yet, uh, speaking in online terms, this, this content is totally relatable, right? Here we are on the cusp of Rosh Hashanah, the high holiday season. Uh, there's, there's no better time for a single person of any age to get together with their family and feel self-conscious about the fact that they haven't gotten it together. Avi, you, you know all about this syndrome. I do. hundred uh, percent. So actually, I'm going to tie both of what you said together and hopefully try to wrap this up. Um, I'm going to invoke uh, a friend of mine, Matthew Roth, uh, who is the proto Hasid hipster, right? There was a, there was a blog a, while, a long time ago called Hasid or Hipster. And I think Jimmy Fallon used to do that as a segment on his show. Um, Matthew Roth is the OG Hasid hipster. Uh, if you look at him, M-A-T-T-H-U-E. He's a spoken word poet and a chapbook writer and a, a YA novelist and he works at Google. Fascinating guy, good friend of mine. And when I was living in Chicago and we didn't have kids and I was like, I went up to him because he had kids and he, they weren't rich and they just were doing stuff. And I would like, I went up to him once at Shul, like at Kiddush and I was like, I got to ask you, like, I don't know if I'm ready to have kids because it seems like so expensive. How do you guys do it? Because you don't seem to be doing it expensive. He goes, he goes, never let money get in the way of you having deciding that you want to have kids because there will always be a way to have kids whatever your budget is right you don't have to have the upper baby you can get something else you don't have to do the fancy can thing. we you leave can me personally out of it and, oh, and the, the ice <laughs> stroller me. the ice stroller <laughs> yes so like the the fact is that um it doesn't have to be expensive to have kids. And the fact is that if you are pretty much done, you should be able to do something. And I think that well, this poor is people the have whole kids, thing. right? Yes. I mean, this Avi, like you don't have to go to a special Hasid hipster rabbi to find out that poor people have children. You can just hop on the subway and observe. Like, obviously, poor people That's have children. That's my point. That's my point. And, and I think that, like, I, I was basically, like, thinking about all of this and saying, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Julia, if you really want kids, if you're pretty much done, you should, you know, figure out that maybe there are other values that are important. And that's where I will point to you and excoriate you, Julia, for saying, I'm going to live my perfect life, but I'm also going to be ambivalent and sad about the fact that I, there are other things that I want and I don't get them. Settle a little bit, right? Move on, figure out what are your important values and work towards them while still maintaining some superficiality in your life, right? Go ahead. And, and to the conservative people, you have to recognize that your perfect lifestyle of having a trad wife and having this and having that and having that is not all always ideal for people and it doesn't work and make it work okay so i'm gonna have totally i'm gonna julia if you're listening i'm giving you completely different advice um which is that i think that she seems i think what strikes me about this is that it seemed like a, a throwback to something that you used to see a lot and don't see so much these days which is people who clearly are enjoying their lives as single childless whatever feeling that they have to go through this performance, not, I don't mean like a monetized performance, but just like a performance for the people around them of berating themselves for not having found somebody, almost like preempting the criticism that they imagine that they're getting from the outside world. And, but then when you look at their life choices, which, you know, demonstrate perhaps what it is they actually want, they are living the lives they actually want to be living. Maybe they don't actually seem miserable that they are not living a different life. Maybe they're happy in the lives they're living. Now, that doesn't mean that nobody's genuinely as unhappy as they seem. But I think there used to be this, Avi, let me finish this. There used to be this expectation specifically of women to say that they wanted a husband. And you see this in old sitcoms where anytime a woman, like a working single woman will say, ah, oh, I wish I had a husband. But it's like, clearly she, this character does not wish she had a husband. Um, 
and you, I would, I would see this in life as well. And I felt like she just seemed a bit of a throwback and it seems like she's enjoying herself. Let her enjoy herself. Let's maybe skip this performance of pretending that there's something else she wants. I, I agree with you. And I don't think that our opinions are mutually exclusive. If you are happy, if you are happy, if you are okay. genuinely <laughs> unhappy, right, then, then uh, do something about it and be real about it. Fair Anyways. enough. Without, without revealing too much about myself, because I could go on and be even more insufferable to, than Please, please Julia be as Mazur insufferable as you want. That, that, that makes TikTok. for good content. I appreciate both of your perspectives. Uh, and and uh, being now, currently, myself, of, a, of an older generation... Uh, I, I, I'm glad that I am not part of this world of obsessive online oversharing, that there is some distance cast between me and the 29-year-old who's almost 30. Uh, I, I, can't, I, 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 I can't say that, that, that I look at Julia Mazur and, and the com- complaints that she's making uh, uh, as anything that I can, I can personally relate to. I, I'm not even sure uh, I have an opinion on it all, but these are the oldest kvetches in the book, aren't they? And we have to give her some credit for putting, putting these, these topics on the radar and doing it in a, in a new way, right? Dragging us into this uh, TikTok vortex uh, where the filmmaker behind the movie What is a Woman you, uses, her, uses her video to, to make an example of her, right? And, and he's saying this is not what a woman is supposed to be. On that note, my blessing to you, Julia, is not to have get married and have children this year, if that's not what you want. My blessing to you for this year, coming year of Rosh Hashanah and the, and the following year of it, is that you figure out what your deeply held values are and start living them and maybe, maybe perform a little less. But yeah, brachas and hatzlachas, uh, which As is they say. Uh, a terminology <laughs> I'm allowed to use on this show. Beth David Hebrew School is now accepting new students. One of Toronto's most dynamic, egalitarian, conservative congregations is offering personalized Hebrew lessons, hands-on learning, exciting field trips, and small group activities, all with a hot dinner included. This is Jewish exploration that will last your children a lifetime. Classes run weekly on Monday nights from 5 to 7.15 p.m. starting September 18th. To learn more and enroll, visit BethDavid.com or email Adina, that's A-D-I-N-A, at BethDavid.com. Let's go and look back at the year that was. Let's uh, figure out um, what uh, this past year was. I kind of really like the idea of doing the year in review when nobody else is doing it, which is, you know, before Rosh Hashanah instead of in December when you're inundated with all these things. Um, I really like the idea of figuring out what the trends were, what the things that were interesting to you were. I know, Phoebe, you wrote a great piece about it for the magazine. Um, Do you want to start us off with some of the things that you noticed before we move on to Mark? Uh, Secular Jews, um, which was just kind of, well, that was not so much that it was a big thing of the last year. It was more that I thought we had a a good podcast with Mark Oppenheimer and we talked about, because this is just like a perennial question, um, the place of uh, secular, like the future of secular Jews, are there going to be secular Jews in a hundred years and so forth? But I think what I might have found a slightly more passionate topic for us would be this question of uh, anti-Semitism and anti anti-semitism and but what i was going to say is that that has 
Judaism slash Jewishness morphed into this great big fight against anti-Semitism. Is that all that's left for all but the most observant Jews? Um, now that sort of Zionism's not so hip anymore among a lot of people who, you know, were Zionists, a lot of diaspora Jews who were Zion- who would have been Zionists maybe 10, 15 years ago. Now it seems like all that's left is this kind of amorphous thing, anti-anti-Semitism. And, you know, Jewish organizations are constantly saying about the fight against anti-Semitism, rising anti-Semitism. It's always higher than it's ever been before, except, you know, certain historical moments jump out as having been more anti-Semitic than this one. Um, and yeah, so so what's the deal with that? Is that is that going to continue along this, these lines um, or not? Well, or is you, it justified? Had, you had a podcast episode earlier this year talking about a series of billboards from an organization called Jew belong. Uh, And it was uh, ignited by a specific message they had, which was Judaism, come for your girlfriend. Remember this one? Come for your girlfriend. Stay Mm -hmm. for the lack of hell, which was not even a not even a biblically accurate statement uh, uh, to be made. So they have these. uh, I feel like that's one of the great unwritten Leonard Cohen lyrics. The, the, Come for your girlfriend. The, 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 Stay the, for the lack of hell. Uh, uh, brash, uh, bright billboards out there, including a, at one point, they had several of them in, in Toronto. Uh, and this Jew Belong organization uh, trying to spread this message here of Jewish pride, and yet there's some confusion. Like, who exactly are they talking to? Do do they think these messages are, are, are effective at stamping out anti-Semitism? Where do, where do we all stand on this one? Well, I, I just see it as being about getting the largest possible tent because anything else could alienate somebody. If it's about religion, well, you know, everybody has a different approach to religion. If it's about Israel, again, that's going to be contentious. Some people are going to have, you know, people will have the whole, Jews will have the whole span of views on Israel. So then what's left? Well, if you're Jewish, you don't want to be killed for being Jewish. You don't want to be physically attacked for being Jewish. You don't want to be insulted for being Jewish. That's about all every single Jew has in common, right? And that's pretty much all that the broader society can hopefully, you know, in some sort of anodyne way get behind is like, be nice, you know? So I sh- here's where I'm going to bring up my citizenship ceremony again. Anti-Semitism was mentioned as one of the things to be fought. Fighting anti-Semitism came up in my citizenship ceremony. And I bet I was the only Jew among the new citizens, but I don't take it personally. But, and, and how's yeah. that going for you, Phoebe? Uh, do you feel like you fought enough anti-Semitism this year, your first year as an employee of the Canadian Jewish News? Um, so I guess I wouldn't say that I consider that my mission. I think being alive and doing the things I want to do and doing positive things, you know, obviously, like, in some sense or another for you know, working for a Jewish community publication. Yes, I think in that sense, but I don't see this as about, but I don't see this as being the fight against anti-Semitism. And, and you call yourself, uh, and you call yourself a <laughs> secular Jew, right? You are doing more Jewishness and more Jewy life and more Jewish, and not just because you work for this Canadian Jewish news, but because you are living your life by trying to say, I want to be a good person. That to me is the essence of what one does to be Jewish and the whole secularism and 
fight against anti-Semitism is because nobody stops to think that that is a Jewish thing to do, and the only Jewish thing one can do nowadays is to fight anti-Semitism, right? Secularism, um, the fight against anti-Semitism, and in fact, the secularism debate in Israel are all intertwined at this point, right? If the only thing that we have is fighting against anti-Semitism because there is no other faith-based thing. Sorry, there's a crying. That's okay. Did you hear any crying? I think, no, okay. I heard some good. crying, but I think it's okay. Maybe, maybe okay. it was in reference to what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I think that's it. I think it is about this casting of a big net, though, and I think the problem is it's you can't have every single year be that there's unprecedented anti-Semitism, be the main sort of PR yeah. statement I, I, from I'd like to drop one of these people in the year 1432, right? It, randomly, <laughs> anywhere, anytime between the years 900 and 1900 and ask them, do you think there is more anti-Semitism in 5783 or 2023 or whatever you're going to call it or right 800 years ago, 700 years ago? This is absolutely a total red herring. It is a canard and I... I push back against it so, so violently. Avi, the fact that you know so much about history suggests you've read some books, which is going to be my way of segueing to the other one that On I think occasion. we really have to talk about, that I think we really have to talk about, which is book bans. So that was another one of my items um, that from sort of the past Jewish year was all of this discussion of book bans, what constitutes a book ban, um, what books should be in a school library, what, which books um, should be in a bonfire, should, should any book ever be in a bonfire, is that being a Nazi, um, who are the real Nazis, and so forth. Um, yeah, look, I think that not only are book bans bad, they are un-Jewish, they are deeply, the, the closer you get to banning an idea, the more people want to get to it. Judaism has figured this out early on. Judaism never banned books. Judaism only said that these are not, you know, quote unquote orthodoxy and I don't want to get used or I'm using that in these pre you know 19th century uh, idea way of, uh, of approaching it right the the Talmud records in correct opinions because um, you know we want people to recognize that this was an idea this is another idea we went with one idea but that doesn't mean that the other idea is invalid lest you know go record everything um, when we canonized the Bible we went and said these are books that are part of the canon but that doesn't mean that these books are illegitimate the other books and we pub that they get promoted they get we, we, we have lost very few books in the Jewish canon uh, by banning them we only go and say this is not something that we want you to you know that this is not the the way in which we want uh, us to, to, to be following if you follow a certain practice but that doesn't mean that the other ideas are bad they're just not for us and so go and read all the ideas and make your own decisions that's my approach all right and I think that's what's the Jewish approach to go and do to, to talking about that and yes we will talk about heresies and that but there's so few heresies in Judaism and and this idea that like an idea is so bad that a kid should not read it, uh, I don't know. Have a conversation with your child, right? I, I, Four thousand seven hundred dollars a month for daycare. You should be able to get all the books you want. Public libraries tend to be very big on the freedom to read, right? This is a school library. This was a school board decision. So it's. It, but, but it also speaks more to a specific culture that has been emerging in the schools. And let me do the segue this time to talk about uh, some, some of the trends that we've seen going on and, and another memorable uh, podcast that, that you did this year talking about uh, the Bialik Hebrew Day School uh, and the firestorm that surrounded uh, uh, parents from the school who, who themselves were concerned about the school library. But in that case, 
they were worried that the school library was getting too liberal. They, they, they wanted to, to clamp down on the messaging that was allowed in the school. Phoebe, do you, do you have any memory of this one, right? We, we moved from one I cult- deeply remember trying, trying in vain to get somebody from Bialik to talk to us. That part I remember. Um, one yes. battle to another here. It's all, <laughs> it's all a blur, but I, but I thought this Bialik story uh, uh, was v- very specific. What, what it said about, about how, how these things uh, uh, still emerge online Right. Somebody on Facebook shares a bit of private correspondence. Maybe there's a petition and and all of a sudden what's supposed to be a, a, a squabble behind the scenes between school administrators and parents suddenly becomes the, the stuff of public record. And it's situations like these. Well, that that turn things like uh, is is Bialik getting too woke how that becomes a topic on Bonjour Chai. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, Look, I, 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 what, I'll, I mean, I'll this hit. came up, this came up, though, I should say there is also a topical thing here, which is that there was just an article in Slate by a liberal progressive parent saying that he actually looked at one of these books that conservatives are mad at, and he thinks they're right, basically, that it is too, too explicit and... <laughs> so, and so this, this is being this is really making the rounds of kind of conservative Twitter is like aha. <laughs> so, in, in the case of Bialik, uh, my understanding is a book about gender with explicit illustrations had somehow made it into the school library, and parents saw that as part of being a slippery slope. Uh, uh, wh- when is this ever going to end? That that was what they were expressing in their letter to the school, right? Next thing you know, they've got a pride flag, and here's another uh, uh, kindergarten teacher. I think they do. Teacher, I think they do have a pride flag, no? Another kindergarten teacher talking about pronouns, right? These are these are the parents who were all saying, uh, they always preface it by, by, by reminding you that they are liberal, that they have gay friends, perhaps uh, they know uh, personally someone who is transgender, uh, you shouldn't take it. Shouldn't take it personally, right? They, they, they just, they just want well, the, standards. The, whistle, the, the Barry Weiss website, famous whistleblower, has a trans spouse who's like this or whatever whistleblower contrarian. I don't even. I have not been following the story closely, but but, I but know everybody, this, everybody's grasping. You just seg- you just segued into another topic, okay. which is that people this year have made everything about trans stuff, whether or not it is, and. I think that's probably not good for trans people. And more to the point, this reminds me very much of um, something that the historian um, Ronald Schechter has said about how Jews have been over the ages kind of become the symbol and and are good to think with. And people talk about Jews when they're not really talking about Jews. Jews are this idea for non-Jews because there are very, very few actual Jews in the world. So Jews can be kind of an idea. And that's something, I think something, and I've been saying this for ages, something similar happens with trans stuff where the idea of going from one gender to another, one sex to another is of tremendous sort of symbolic interest. And whether it's the people who are sort of positioning themselves as good allies or the people who are not positioning themselves in that way, whatever. The, the point is that the, the topic becomes huge relative to the number of actual people involved. Although with the trans topic, it's a little different because there are growing numbers, whereas with Jews, um, our numbers are not necessarily 
I don't know. I don't know if you guys heard the interview that I did with Paul Bernstein. I hope you did. It was a great episode. Um, and I think the point that he made about this was. I, I couldn't possibly have said it better myself. He says the thing that schools need to do is encourage parents and model for parents and students how to have these difficult conversations. If there's one overarching value that Jewish schools should be focused on, it's not the value of tikkun olam or the value of environmentalism or the value of, you know, what of prayer, the value of respecting differences, the value, like all fighting anti-Semitism is the value that Jews, Jewish schools should be working towards is the value of having difficult conversations conversations, the value of finding somebody who you disagree with and being able to be respectful with them and have a, a difference of opinion while still understanding and liking the other person. And that is something that I find is not happening. It's not happening uh, in many, many schools, and it's definitely not happening in society. Everybody's feeling the need to shout at each other, feeling the need to be right. It's, you know, you're just not allowed to be wrong in your own mind and I think that people need to learn that sometimes they are wrong, um, sometimes the conservatives are right, sometimes the conservatives need to realize that sometimes the liberals are right and that that's okay um, the, the conversations that we are having are not the right level of discourse and dialogue and I encourage every school like Bialik and like others to not talk about the issues themselves but to talk about how to talk about the issues um, if my kids were, get that in school that is all that I would really expect of them that and a little Jewish history once in a while you know? okay well well, well. I, I think uh, we're all a bunch of uh, libertarian anarchists here <laughs> uh, Avi I'm not always so sure about you but i i think i think me and phoebe uh, uh take a stand <laughs> i do like corner. i like the socialized medicine but apart from that libertarian anarchist perhaps a libertarian anarchist who likes ohip not I, not uh, anarcho libertarian <laughs> okay and and i'm not i'm not a parent either but but what i see here in my fellow gen xers and and geriatric millennials is a is a is a bunch of people who are who are seeking new rules right they they just want to know where what where they are supposed to stand where where can they where can they feel comfortable about about these shifting sands and how things are changing out there and and, and i see them i see them struggling with uh trying to figure out what they're supposed to think or what they're allowed to say right do I, do do i have to announce my pronouns when i when i'm at the pta meeting you know is it is it something that that i'm allowed to recuse myself from uh, I believe that uh, having that that freedom of thought freedom of speech uh, uh, allows you to decide whether you want to do these things or not whether whether you want to participate in these in these new rituals but but isn't there a, a certain kind of social pressure to conform what do you what do you think Phoebe being there in your Roncesvalles neighborhood with the downtown with the progressive hipster surrounded by all the other babies with the pride flags flying from some strollers I have seen it um where do you yes. think you fit in right what what has I do I know very like well where you? I fit in and it's super weird because I get the kind of like the hushed so you're you're that one huh <laughs> and I think um I think yeah yeah not know. only do you yes. have yes. these opinions but they publish them in the newspaper I know. I mean, how, how outrageous no. uh, can you be? I mean, I think what my sense is that I don't actually have views that different from many other people. And I think that's why they are published in a mainstream newspaper, because they're not I don't think I actually I, I don't have like strange views, particularly. Um, I don't I don't think I think maybe the what what's different with me is that I, I try to just like see it a little more big picture than some and I don't 
assume that like the zeitgeist or whatever, like the vibe of like any particular moment is how everything is always going to be. And I don't think, and I think there's some somehow like a way of talking about culture that marks you as very either like 2015 or 2020 or something that I just, I don't think you actually have to do all this. Like I, I whenever I see somebody do like a long sort of overwrought privilege disclaimer now, I just think like, why? Like nobody, nobody cares. Like you don't have to do this anymore and you never really did have to do it. It's performative in the sense that like they're not actually going towards the other person and saying, I want to present my pronouns because I want to be respectful of everybody. It's I want to present my pronouns because I want to show that I'm that kind of person. Right. And, and well, the and pronoun the same... thing is this is more specifically like not necessarily actually good for trans people because not everybody who's trans is out about it and they don't all want to share their pronouns. And then it becomes this thing that's not about Again, trans people. It's, right. It's, it's performative. About, yes, yes. As are these, you know, the, the land acknowledgements, as are so many other things that we put out in society and I think that again to bring it back to Judaism one of the things that I really like is that there are times when you are performative there are times when you get together in community and but at the end of the day so much of your ideas and your beliefs are very personal and very internal and we don't need to show them off just for the sake of showing them off right you 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 do things in public when it makes sense to do it in public and you don't do things in public when you're just doing it to show who you are and how you so Avi you mentioned land acknowledgements and I think that's interesting so I'm going to bring it again back to the citizenship ceremony because a lot of it was both a land acknowledgement and a discussion of the importance of um, reconciliation and all of this, which I thought was an interesting choice for uh, an oath of citizenship ceremony, right? Because, you know, it was about sort of like the guilt of all Canadians who are settlers. But then the more I thought about it, it actually isn't really because a lot, the way the Canadian immigration system works, a lot of like, as a rule, new immigrants probably do have it easier than oftentimes indigenous people do here. And it isn't so much about like whether your specific ancestors um, did anything particular, more about like sort of acknowledgments of historical injustices and redistribution where necessary to address those. Like it seemed more like that, if that makes sense. But, uh, but okay. The, yeah. So what, what I'm hearing here, Phoebe, is you will be voting for the conservative party of Canada in the next running for election. office. Clearly. Um, no, I think, I oh. think I'm probably, we want, we want two MPs for the conservative party to come out of Bonjour High, not just one. We will not. Settle. I think, <laughs> I think I would probably, I have to learn, I have to read up, but I, I think I'm probably one of the boring liberals. I think that's probably where I where I fit. And I and I don't just say that because Justin Trudeau he took the time, yes, to do he did a video performance for us. He um video Was he was in business video, attire? Um he was in um and not shirtless. He was drenched and shirtless at a, a pride event. And I did actually see him drenched and shirtless at a pride parade and felt a little guilty not for ogling the Prime Minister, but for being so heterosexual at a pride parade but um yeah he did a video um yeah and and uh yeah anyway i forgot where i was going with that where are we at with the whole idea of rebranding anti-semitism as jew hatred uh there is there is a lawyer and activist her name is brooke goldstein she's got a a new book out with this slogan and jew hatred uh all, all these characters out there seem to be pretty well capitalized uh there's always some 
funders, some foundation, you know, uh, backing their their activism. Uh, uh, this is this is not a situation of a just a, a random influencer on on TikTok hoping hoping to get noticed. A, a whole apparatus has been established here, right? And that in, that includes people who want to tell you that Jew hatred is a more accurate term for life in the twenty. 20s. Are, are we buying any of this? Uh, no, <laughs> no. Um, I think I think it's a it's a it's a transparently obvious thing ploy to take this clinical word, which has a very specific definition and a way of approaching it and saying, no, hatred. Right? Let's make it let's amp up the emotion on here by reminding people that hatred is an emotion that we are feeling the victims of and that this is a problem. And you should, you know, be part of this thing where nobody should hate other people. It's OK for me to hate other people. But when you come to hate me, that's a bad thing, because I assure you that the people that say end you hatred have lots of hatred towards other people on this planet. Um, they don't go and say end X hatred and end Y hatred, right? But they will go and say end Jew hatred. So um, stop trying to stack the emotions in your favor and start looking around and having, like I said, difficult conversations. Okay, so I think the what, what it looked like to me at first and would seem to be on paper is a way of avoiding the extremely silly sort of loop of conversations that one used to have where somebody would say they're opposed to anti-Semitism and somebody else would be like, Arabs are Semites too. Anti-Semitism shouldn't be used because it's not just Jews aren't the only Semites. Get over yourself, Jews. I, I think that so argument wait, 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 is, wait, hold wait. on, you should include Semites, you should include Arabs in Semitism, anti-Semitism also. You don't need anti-Arab racism and anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish stuff. Well, say anti-Semitism and say, yes, it's bad if, to hate all Semites. Okay, okay. Uh, but it, anti-Semitism doesn't actually, it is about Jews. And I, I think there is a precision. What I was going to say is I think there is a precision case, I guess, to avoid that kind of like, um, I mean, it's not quite, it's not actually an accurate, because anti-Semitism has like a history as a term, you know, I'm from Germany, and it, it does specifically refer to the hatred of Jews. But I could see if you want to just avoid having that kind of silly conversation 50 times a day to say, this isn't about Semites, this is about Jews. But that doesn't seem to be the people who are embracing this. They do not seem to be, that doesn't seem to be where this is coming from. It seems to be, my impression of it just viscerally is that it's kind of like a dumbed down way of talking. You know, it's just like, it's for a, a moment when everything's extremely stupid and a, a, a long word is too much. It, it also seems to be trying to, trying to take uh, uh, the simplicity of woke messaging, right? Hashtag... Yes activism yes. and applying yes. it to the to the right side for the Jews uh, and uh, somebody somebody smarter than that might just uh, ignore the entire thing and and just say uh, there is is really no meaning to any of this discourse right like nothing will be solved uh, expressing ourselves this way online which brings up to the wider topic of politics in Israel, a lot of Canadians expressing their opinion, widely covered in the past year in the Canadian Jewish news. We've had open letters published in newspapers. We've had protests going on, different different Canadian streets, uh, people uh, critical of the Israeli judicial reforms. It's also come up several times on Bonjour Chai. I don't have any opinion 
about what's going on in Israel that, that makes any difference to anything or anyone. I am willing to say that much. But what I am able to observe is how certain people, especially from the Jewish communal world, uh, rabbis from specific denominations, kind of dance around taking a stand, right? Because they want to be seen like they're on the right side of history here. But at the same time, they don't want to get into a fight with their members. They don't want a certain amount of financial support to be removed this from is like their Taylor Swift on. not showing her politics or like these these sort of influencers who are just like they're trying to sell the makeup so they don't tell you if they're Republicans or Democrats. Exactly. What do we make of here at the end of 5783 about this phenomenon? I used to talk about the Mideast conflict um, and compare it to the uh, struggles in Ireland, right? And where you had this political struggle, but it wasn't really a political struggle. It was a cultural religious struggle that was masking as a political struggle. Um, and that when politics when it's about politics, it's ultimately solvable. And we have seen that largely, right, the, the issues have been solved and there is relative stabil stable peace in that region, whereas what happens in Israel with the Middle East conflict is that it's a claim about politics, but it's not really about politics. It's about culture, right? And it's about people, it's about Semites versus Semites who have very difficult living situations and, and there's a lot of deep thousands of year old struggle that is there and that what makes it intractable to apply that whole thinking and I know that's a little facile and I know what I'm about to say is a little facile but I think that it helps to think about this in this way what we're seeing here is that the struggle over judicial reform is not really about the struggle over judicial reform and that is why rabbis want to really be involved in it because at the end of the day it is about religion right it's about politics and about BB trying to maybe save his own skin but that's a personal thing the huge thing here is whether whether, uh, you know, certain parties, certain groups, certain religious groups are going to have control over the future of a country and others are not. And it, it's inevitable that people that are involved in Judaism, uh, such as rabbis, such as people with a pulpit who have other involved people in their community, want to be on the side of history that they think is the right side of history. Because at the end of the day... Um, some people want to be allowed to live and other people say, no, we want to be here. This is de democratic. And if democratic equals Haredi, because that is what got voted in, then you have to abide by this. And that, that is the struggle. That is why we're hearing a lot about it. And that's why I actually think it is more important than people talk about. That's really funny because when you said that's what got voted in, I heard it. I misheard it for, at first as that's what God voted in. Thinking like, well, yes, one way to yes, look at of it. course, that is the way that they perceive it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that like what what strikes me about these issues, which I'm going to join Mark and feeling like I don't really have any I don't know that I'm going to be very useful as like I'm not a Mideast pundit and I'm not about to become one. But what I would say is like what seems to be at stake is also should diaspora Jews care what's going on in Israel and how much. And that seems to be where there might be like some greater change rather i don't see it as a diaspora jews are about to become you know all members of um whatever the like i i, I always worry i'm going to say this one wrong bdm i always worry i'm going to do the wrong acronym acronym because i listen to too much dan savage but the point is um I, I don't i don't know that it's going to be that a lot of diaspora jews are anti-zionist so much as just 
it's not really our problem. You know what I mean? Like that might be more the rift or the shift. I don't know. I would disagree to a certain extent um, because I think that there is something there. If you are involved in Jewish religious life anywhere in the world, um, what goes on in Israel does have some sort of uh, impact on your life. Um, I do believe, like you said, that if you but want to get involved in Israeli politics, you should be in Israel, have some sort of idea or say if you care about it, but you should care about it because you live there, because I don't care about what goes on in Gabon or in the Netherlands or other countries. I mean, I'm passing interest, but I don't have the same uh, approach. But what goes on religiously in Israel does have echoes around the world. And as I was having a conversation with somebody that I met yesterday, um, and there is a non-zero chance that the ultra-right will take over Israel within a short amount of time, which will mean that a lot of Jews will move to the diaspora and America will become right the new right. In, when the Second Temple was destroyed, the locus of Jewish life moved to uh, what's now Iraq, right? what we refer to as Babel or ba- Babel, Babylon, whatever. Babylonia really is, was the technical term for that era and that place. Um, American can, America can become the new Babylonia for the people of Israel uh, as religious people, not just the people of the state, but the people globally, and that that actually does impact who we are and how we are. So I think for religious people, um, in however denomination that they define themselves, this is a huge cataclysmic discussion that is unfolding day by day. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. Okay, listen, on that note, uh, we'd like to wish you all a Shana Tova. Have a great uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, all this season. Stay tuned for more great shows coming up in the weeks. Um, but let's move on to our nachas. Mark, what's your nachas? Uh, uh, my nachas is to all those who worked on the new quarterly magazine from the Canadian Jewish News, not just Avi Feingold and Phoebe Moltz Bovi, but also a team including uh, Ronit Novak, uh, art director in the magazine, Lila Sarek, uh, uh, the news editor, Yoni Goldstein, who has been the CEO and editor in chief uh, at least until the end of 2023. Muzzletov, Yashar Koach, to everyone that we got this thing done, and a, a lot more to come in 2024. Phoebe, Nachas. Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, it's going to have to be the Canadian citizenship thing. I- I'm pretty, pretty stoked about that. I feel like being, you know, at the Canadian Jewish News, I felt a bit of an imposter um, up until today, really, or the end of yesterday, because I really felt like, but I'm not Canadian. I'm not gonna- Well, now I am. I'm Canadian. I have a little maple leaf enamel pin that they give you. Um, it- it's real now. So, so everything that I think is Canadian Jewish thoughts, and it's, Yeah, yeah, here it is. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, And it's fun. And I definitely recommend for anybody who's thinking of doing the online only version, because you don't actually actually have to be physically there. I learned right before heading out to Mississauga. Um, Do it, though. It's worth it. Um, It's it's fun. Avi, what's yours? 
Um, last Saturday night was the kickoff, really, of the liturgical high holiday season with the start of Slichot, which happens on a Saturday night at midnight, which is like the lead-in. It's a beautiful service at the Shar Shemayim. Um, there is always a child soloist, and uh, this year's Slichot service featured none other than Nadiva Feingold. She knocked it out of the park with her solo, Mochel Abonot. Um, I want to give all the nachas that I have to uh, that moment. It really felt great to see it. Uh, it's the second child that I've had do it. Um, beautiful. Go you, Nadiva. Well, that's lovely, though. That's really wonderful. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the year ending 5783. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcasts is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We would love it if you told a friend in Shul. If you're in Shul two days a year, and this week is one of them, go tell somebody about Bonjour High. It is really one of the best ways we get our listeners. As always, please do email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. Yeah.